I'm realizing that what, we've, we've always recorded this loud. You can hear now. That's the <laughs> difference. That's true. I uh, famously got my ears cleaned out recently. It was in the papers. You probably saw it. Yeah, they removed like, enough of earwax to make a little kid's Play-Doh kit, so it was gross. Which they then did. Yeah. Welcome to Super Duper Stitches. A paranormal podcast that looks at the uh, science behind the strange. I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. Welcome back again. Um, <laughs> Just staring into your eyes and smiling vacantly. Uh, yeah, we're doing the show. This is it. You're listening <laughs> to it. See you next week. <laughs> we, um, yeah, we're so glad to have you join us again after we concluded our little uh, Super Duper Stitches special report, diving into the missing 411 stuff. Mm-hmm. Now we're going back into some regular all apps of fun cool stuff yes indeedy and uh this week we'll be talking about more strange and spooky places places yes um i don't know who goes first i think the last time we did a you know regular story thing or regular app i don't know because last time we did like trading stories was the first 411 so you right. went first i went first so should i go first yeah go for it okay before i go first i'm gonna go first with some <laughs> updates on the phantom <laughs> of the chicago so the phantom of the chicago is the name of the winged bat like winged bat like winged winged bat like <laughs> creatures roaming over the skies of the chicago-ish area uh, ever since most of the sightings really happened in 2017 right. have been continuing since then largely they've been compiled by lon strickler of phantoms and monsters.com the lawnmower man mm-hmm. and he uh <laughs> actually is not going to feature into today's updates mm. at all because these updates come instead from the singular Fortean Society, mm-hmm. who they, I mean, they it's just Tobias and Emily Wayland. They must be about our age. Uh, they, I think they live over in that area, and they are into the stuff. It's actually their website that w- first caught my eye, made me see the Phantom stuff back when I first covered it, in episode two of this show. One can only hope they never meet anyone by the last name Utani. Mm-hmm. Carry on, Jake. <laughs> oh, if they do, at least if they don't form some kind of company together, then we should be okay. Indeed. But, um... So, let's see. This is the first one. The Singular Fortean Society was recently contacted by a witness who said she had been, a, had seen, had been a hulking winged creature, <laughs> had seen a hulking winged creature in, uh, this can't be Wakanda, Wauconda, Wa- Illinois. Is this, is this, what do you think see. that, right there? Looks like Wakanda, kind of. It does look like Wauconda. Wauconda. I think you would pronounce this Wakanda, but it's W-A-U-C-O-N-D-A. Illinois, not to be mistaken for Wakanda, the fabricated country country in the Maku, the Makuniverse, if you will. Makuniverse. That encounter was preceded by a sighting of a strange beam of light two years prior. So these things are definitely related. The witness agreed to allow the use of her first name, Paula. On April 20th, 2014, my sister's birthday, Paula was sitting near a window on, in the bedroom of her ground-level apartment near the Lakewood Forest Preserve in Wakanda when she saw a bright <laughs> beam of light. I'm just going to go with it. Uh, a bright beam of light come shooting down across the street at around 11 p.m. Quote, it was so bright and defined, said Paula. The light, which lasted between 15 and 20 seconds, was an, uh, uh, was an orange gold color and did not illuminate its surroundings, or um, nor did it move much, making only a slight side-to-side or back-and-forth motion. Hmm. The light retracted at one point, only to reappear a moment later. Hmm. Paula fell back onto her bed in shock. 
Oh my God, this thing sees me, she remembers thinking. I had the deepest feeling this thing saw me. It knows. But the light retracted a final time and was gone. Hmm. I heard a hum at the end just before it took off, said Paula. So that was that. Two years okay. later is the next sentence. In 2016, also on April 20th, Paula encountered a terrifying winged being in the same area. She was taking the hmm. garbage out just before 6 a.m. when something drew her eye from across the street. In the early morning gloom, she saw a huge winged being. Paula described the being as perhaps seven to eight feet tall when standing erect, but it carried itself hunched over, limping along. It was completely Ooh. black, and from what she could see, its upper body and head were covered in hair. Uh, the being had long, leathery wings, which were partially wrapped around its body as it moved towards Paula, jumping forward similarly to watching someone move through a strobe light. Oh, so I guess it's just like lurching forward in a really weird... I hope that's what they mean, and not the classic horror movie kind of detail where they'll have a ghoulish thing moving towards the camera in a faltering kind of like, it's there, it's gone, it's there, it's gone, <laughs> ever closer <laughs> yeah, fashion. It could be. <laughs> Uh, the terrifying that's creature, hard to believe. Go on. Yeah, the terrifying creature made an unnatural groaning noise as it advanced. Paula felt a palpable, palpable sense of Paula felt a palpable sense of evil <laughs> emanating from the bat-winged monster. It's a tongue twister right there. Yes. Paula felt a palpable sense of evil <laughs> emanating from the bat-winged monster. <laughs> uh, this is evil, she recalled. I'm seeing evil. <laughs> Fearing for her safety. <laughs> oh man, Paula's living a rough life. She is. Fearing for her safety, she quickly turned to flee back into her apartment. After fumbling with her keys for a moment, she opened the door and turned around, terrified that the creature might be right behind her, but it was gone. Paula said that she only knew a few of her neighbors personally, and unfortunately, the ones she knew had not witnessed either event. Mm. Although one of her neighbors, with whom she was friends, did take her encounter seriously. I don't know what to say, Paula said of her experiences, but I know what I saw. So already, there's a noticeable difference in writing style between Tobias and Lon. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, much more of a narrative kind of form. Mm -hmm. It's uh, He's really worked on his craft of writing it. Mm -hmm. He might go so far as to say he's crafting a narrative. Uh, anyway, here's the second what you, update. What do you mean? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> here's the next one. Uh, the singular 40s in society was contacted recently by a man who said he has seen an unusual being with wings and bright green eyes charged at him from the McHenry County Fairgrounds in the early morning hours of February 28th. Hmm. So I didn't note that the... The Phantom of the Chicago, if you haven't heard previous updates or anything, is a yeah, giant bat thing, often also said to have glowing red eyes. Right. So this has bright green eyes instead. I know. It's quite incongruous. Mm. The witness compared his encounter to a sighting that had been reported in Woodstock earlier in the month. According to a message received through the Singular Foreign Society's contact page, I was outside Jewel Osco in uh, Woodstock, Illinois, and believed to have seen the same visual of an unusual being in the McHenry County Fairground. They put some of that in, uh, quote in brackets to make it make more sense, but they made it make less sense, I feel like. Oh, well. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, it screeched at me and then charged the fence about 30 feet from the fence. It had very bright green eyes and had wings and was all black, leathery colored. It ran back towards the woods in the McHenry County Fairgrounds. I called the Woodstock Police Department and they had county sheriffs respond to the location. Says, hmm. Investigator Tobias Wayland attempted to contact. He's writing this, so he's referring to himself in the third person. <laughs> contact the heroic investigator Tobias <laughs> Wayland, yes. the best in charge. Intrepid investigative reporter <laughs> uh, attempted to contact the witness via telephone at a predetermined time, agreed to by all parties, all two of them, I guess, but was forced to leave a voicemail. The witness has not yet responded. A Freedom of Information Act request for any information pertinent to the incident was then filed with the McHenry County Sheriff's Office. What? And while an official report was not written, the 911 call information was released. So, mm. really wanted to do some journalism and find out what happened. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he, got, he, yeah, he 
Didn't An actually talk to the person. Admirable detail at the very least. According to the incident detail report documented the call at 2.46 a.m. on February 28th, an officer responded to the 911 call of a man who said he'd seen a, quote, mysterious creature described as being seven to eight feet tall and wearing all black that charged him from the fairgrounds, screeching at him while he was in the jewel lot, and then it retreated. The witness named the creature the Dewfield Pond Swamp Monster since he had the first sighting with police involvement. The hmm. report continued. Investigation to continue. So, yeah, those are some updates. Very cool. Kind of weird ones. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I enjoy it, though. It's a different, like like you quite explicitly stated, different kind of narrative angle on the whole thing. It's yeah, fun. it's a different way of, uh, it, which does make it a little more interesting to read since at this point, we don't really believe any of these anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> but indeed. <we> can... <laughs> but, but we they're do fun. keep listening they, to them. They've become a nice canonical feature. Yes. Uh, but that may not be the case for much longer because according to some uh, shocking breaking news from our field correspondent in Chicago, there may not be any more Phantom of the Chicago. More on that Indeed. next week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's it for my <laughs> update on that. Awesome. So now I'm going to go someplace different, Wyatt. Oh, I'm ready. So Someplace different, huh? Mm-hmm. Not Chicago. I guess it's <laughs> the moral of the story here. Science expeditions. They're okay. pretty neat. I'd say so. We've talked a lot on the show about reproducible experiments and mm-hmm. testing hypotheses and the scientific method, stuff like that. But there's a lot to be said for straight-up discovery as well, descriptive investigations of new stuff just to see what's out there in this big, cool world of ours. On top of that, at least back in the day, there was a certain amount of prestige involved in yep. being the first to make certain breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. So first artificial Earth satellite, uh, first person in space, deepest hole in the ground. So uh, why? What are those... Three completely random examples seem to have in common. Artificial Earth satellite, person in space, hole in the ground. Nothing? <laughs> You're right, Why These are completely arbitrary examples. Now, they are all achievements of the Soviet Union. Oh, yes. That was my second guess. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's either absolutely nothing <laughs> or the Soviet, or the Soviet Union. Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's that last one, the drilling into the ground one mm. that I'll be talking about today. Mm-hmm. And for anyone tempted to scream, call a super deep borehole at their phone throughout the segment. Just relax for a bit. I know we have at least one geologist listening, Sharon. Uh, <laughs> so all, all will be explained. Friend of the show. Yes. Uh, the year was 1989. The place? Siberia. Mm-hmm. A Russian team had been working for a while to drill just so goddamn far down into the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Because science, obviously. Mm-hmm. But seriously, there's all sorts of cool reasons for wanting to dig so deep, including various studies of the Earth's crust, mm-hmm. uh, the possibility of even reaching the mantle, and in this case, a kind of Earth science equivalent of the space race. Mm. So a quote from the August 1989 edition of Science Magazine reads, quote, to the Soviets, deep holes are not simply tools for testing geological theory. They expect more. One additional payoff is improved drilling technology. Mm-hmm. Another is insight into the deepest strata beneath known mineral resources. And it's always the allure of the Sputnik effect, the glory of having the deepest hole in the world. <laughs> this particular expedition was led by one Dr. Asakoff. Asakoff's team hoped to make it fully through the Earth's crust, which in that area had a depth of about 35 kilometers or 22 miles. So quite a ways to try and dig through. Oh, absolutely. Digs have been running pretty smoothly as the team made their way deeper and deeper into the ground. But something changed 
when they reached a depth of 14.4 kilometers, about 8.9 miles. That's crazy, though. Yeah. The drill started spinning wildly. They had apparently broken through into some sort of open cavity. Ooh. This is very unexpected, especially given how much more of the continental plate they still had yet to drill through. Mm-hmm. The team had expected an eventual shift in composition from granite to basalt as they got deeper, but certainly didn't expect a totally open area. No. Said Asikov, the second surprise was the high temperature we discovered. The calculations indicate the given temperature was about 1,100 degrees Celsius, or over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This is far more than we expected. Hmm. The last discovery, this is again a quote from Asikov, was uh, the most shocking. So much so that the scientists are afraid to continue the project. What? So this last statement is in regards to what the team did next. They lowered a heat-resistant microphone down into the borehole with the intent of attempting to record possible tectonic activity and get a better sense of what they were dealing with down there. Right. This is what they recorded. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. This is a squirrel, not zippers. All right. This is what they recorded. You know what they are worth <laughs> the darkness of Khazadun. Okay. These are not the recordings. I'm just <laughs> building this up because the actual recording is pretty upsetting. So prepare for 17 seconds or less. Make sure this, when I played it earlier, it was so fucking loud. 17 seconds or less or of not a good time. Oh my that's god. That's enough. That's enough. I think. Are you freaking kidding me, dude? It goes on for a while. Uh, well, about what 70 the seconds. Fuck? Can I hear just a little bit more? Right, here's a little bit more. Oh my god. Is that for real? So that's horrible. They really recorded that down there. They recorded hole? that down that hole. What the so, fuck? So I'll, I'll continue. Oh my god. Said Asikov, quote, we tried to listen to the Earth's movements at certain intervals with super-sensitive microphones, which were let down through the hole. What we heard turned those logically-thinking scientists into trembling ruins. It was a sometimes weak but high-pitched sound which we thought to be coming from our own equipment. Uh, but after some adjustments, we comprehended that indeed the sound came from the Earth's interior. We could hardly believe our own ears. We heard a human voice screaming in pain. Even though one voice was discernible, we could hear thousands, perhaps millions, in the background. After this ghastly discovery, about half of the scientists quit because of fear. Hopefully that which is down there will stay there. Oh my god. So that is at least the basic story of what is known as the well to hell. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts so far, my good shell? Uh, nice rhyme. I guess I would not believe it, and I'm still wanting to be more convinced, but also wanting to not be convinced, because <laughs> that <awful>. audio <laughs> was horrifying. It's, it's, I mean, it sounds like it was manufactured to be... A frightening cacophony oh, of screams. Yeah, but if it truly was recorded way down in a hole from the opening uh, credits of The Wire, <laughs> this is what Tom Waits was singing about. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, creepy. Yes, this is my is your burp. So it was not easy to track down the original reporting on this particular event of you know digging through to hell. But I'll hit you with the seemingly pretty complete trail as compiled by Rich Bueller on his website, Truth or Fiction. So Rich Bueller is, uh, or was, actually he passed away in 2012, but he was a... Um, Brother of Ferris. Yes. And a Christian evangelical like um, host of like radio shows and stuff like that, but he, he did have this whole website where he would try and debunk stuff, and this was kind of fun. So the story first got broad-ish distribution in 1989 when the Southern Californian Christian platform Trinity Broadcasting Network, or TBN, released a story entitled, Scientists Discover Hell. 
Uh, Bueller contacted TBN and asked if the story was true and was informed that it indeed was. They had gotten it from an article translated out of a Finnish newspaper called Amanisatia. Uh, it was from there that the various Asikov quotes came. So the ones that I quoted, the, the lead scientist talking about that stuff. DBN said that the article had been given to them by Texas evangelist R.W. Schombach, who often guested on their network. Schombach's office again confirmed the authenticity of the article to Bueller, saying that it came from a, quote, respected scientific journal in Finland. And that mm. They furthermore had a letter from a Norwegian teacher, Aga Rendelen, confirming it. Uh, Rendelin had in fact been the one who sent the article and his translation directly to TBN, adding his, this additional bit of shocking info based on the eyewitness testimony of a Mr. Numendal. Quote, what really unnerved the Soviets, apart from the voice recordings, was the appearance that same night of a fountainhead of luminous gas shooting up from the drill site. And out of the midst of this incandescent cloud pillar, a brilliant being with bat wings revealed itself with the words in Russian, I have conquered, emblazoned against the dark Siberian sky. The incident was absolutely unreal. The Soviets cried out in terror, says Mr. Numendal. Uh, later that day, he saw ambulance crews circulating in the community. A driver he knew told him that they had been told to sedate everybody with a medication known to erase short-term memory. The Soviets used the drug in the treatment of shock victims. So it's just getting pretty intense with this story. That is nuts. Yeah. Uh, that we just learned where the Phantom of the Chicago came from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now he just hangs out in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to just quote a section of Bueller's article from for a little while here now. So, <laughs> so we now had not only a story about drilling into hell, but an additional ver- an additional version with a bat-like creature making an appearance. My staff and I decided to roll up our shirt sleeves and trace the story as far as we could, especially since we had the names of newspapers and at least one individual who might know the facts. The Finnish newspaper Amanusatia, uh, which is quoted in nearly every account of the story, is located in an area called Lebesjoki. We had a phone conversation with a staff member who told us the publication is not a respected newspaper or a scientific journal, as we had been told, but a monthly publication of a group of Finnish Christians. Mm-hmm. The Drilling to Hell story, he said, had been based on the word-of-mouth recollection of another staff member who had remembered reading it as a major article in a Finnish daily newspaper called Ethelus Suman. We contacted this newspaper, and at first they couldn't recall or find the story. However, we later received a call saying they had discovered that they that the tale had appeared in their paper. They had the drugs, too. Yes. Uh, it was not in an article, however, but in a featured section that includes letters from readers who could write about almost anything they wished. Through the newspaper, we tracked down the person who wrote the letter with the Drilling to Hell story. He was a kind, elderly man who, in spite of being reluctant to talk with us initially... Um, was Satan. <laughs> yes, was, in fact, the great deceiver. Uh, told us through an interpreter that he couldn't vouch for the credibility of the story. He got it, he said, from a Christian newsletter called Valtayat, which was published by a group of Finnish missionaries. We next contacted Valtayat. <laughs> the editor said the story had been printed in their July 1989 issue. Where did he hear about it? He received it from one of their readers who claimed it had appeared in a newsletter called Jewels of Jericho, published by a group of Jewish Christians in California. Mm-hmm. And that is where the Finnish trail came to an end. Hmm. So, like, Hot damn. It's not it's just a lot the, of telephone. Yeah, not just the, the length of what I actually had written here is the, the length of the game of telephone, uh, but also the work put in by Bueller and yes, Co. Like they really, no, really yeah, I'm so down. glad for that. Yeah, awesome. this is back in the 90s, too, pre internet. <sighs> damn. So that left us one last lead, which was uh, Aga Rundelen, the Norwegian who really heightened the story with this whole demon shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bueller called him directly and had this exchange. Are you the one who sent information to a Christian television network in the United States about scientists drilling to hell? I asked. Yes, he said without hesitation. Well, I continued, do you have any way of knowing whether it's true? Yes, I do, he replied. 
Tell me more about it, I asked. None of it is true, he said. I fabricated every word of it. (laughs) (laughs) From Bueller's article, Rendlin went on to uh, explain that he had visited the U.S. a few weeks earlier and had seen the host of a Christian television program enthusiastically relating the Drilling to Hell story. He told me, quote, I couldn't believe that the hosts really thought the story was true, Mm -hmm. that they would broadcast it without apparently having checked it out. America. So when he returned to Norway, Rendlin sat down and fabricated the graphic story of the bat-like creature and sent his letter to the television network. Mm-hmm. His prediction was that they would use the story without investigating it. To make an investigation easy for them, he, conclude, uh, he included his name, address, and telephone number on his letter. So just like bold-facedly jumping the shark to be like, guys, do yeah, your homework. Exactly. He also included uh, what he claimed was an article on the story from, uh, quote, Norway's largest and most reputable newspaper. In fact, the article, which he falsely translated, was a piece in his local community paper about a building inspector. So he just provided a fake translation of what it was about. Amazing. And said it was like the quote from that one person who saw the thing. Right. Rendlin also included the name and telephone number of a pastor friend based in Southern California. The pastor knew about the hoax and was prepared to reveal the truth if someone called to research it further with him. However, as predicted, Trinity Broadcasting Network ran the story without contacting Rendlin or the Californian pastor, and it appeared on television, radio, and in a large number of publications. Oh, boy. None of those who used the story attempted to research it before going public. So oh, we're, man. So we're more or less caught up to where things are now as far as what, what went on. Someone right. at some point wrote or told this story once. It made its way through the grapevine and got taken seriously, and then Rendellin heard it, couldn't believe the bullshittery, and decided to really make it ridiculous, mm-hmm. and still folks believed it. And all this was in the 90s before any distribution of the audio recording itself. So that didn't happen until sometime in the early 2000s. And there are multiple versions out there. (laughs) So I first came across this last week. I was looking at different sound kind of stuff for for something else. And uh, not a recurring segment on the show, of course. And no, it's for your, for your private listening of hell noises. Exactly. And... Um, uh, I came across this story on like a really crappy YouTube like slideshow style video that ended with sound. Huh. So I was like it really, all building up to like, okay, well, what's this going to sound like? And I turned it way down right. expecting it to be awful. And it was just kind of a, like, oh, huh. it's just general, not like Halloween sound. It was like older, lo-fi <laughs> sounding. So it was. <laughs> You're in hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, just some general kind of background screaming from like, it sounded like from quite a distance, mm-hmm. which also made it sound more plausible that like, oh someone this was a sound from underground like oh they found this down there and it was mm. in the distance somewhere mm. so it was fine then today when i was prepping this i i, I f- um, went to a different place i found like a place i could download the audio it's like oh, i'll just play this to make sure this is this is the uh, file i want and it was that <laughs> that i played for you and i turned it way the fuck down for this like i turned it way down right so I was just sitting here just minding my business oh. and then that happened i did notice so loud. i did notice there was a, a circular impression in your ceiling and a bunch of drywall on my hair still yeah, yeah. still in your hair <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah there are a, a, apparently a variety of different audio clips going around people have circulated saying that they are this thing and people have broken down different clips including this one and determined okay you can tell where certain sounds are being looped mm. so they're saying it's not sure how specifically they you know recorded it like what they used to record it who did it how many different times it was done. There's different versions someone said came from some dumb movie the audio partly came from. So a lot of different versions from a lot of different sources. Mm -hmm. None of them, hell. Go figure. Yeah. (laughs) Also, thank fucking God. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's funny because in the YouTube video I first saw all the comments were like, oh, like, 
They're just like everyone like repenting and like, like oh yeah. praise Jesus. Oh, it's, it's we're like, fucked. Right. But it's like, how would you see that particular video and be that freaked out? Like if if they had heard this audio, I could see that knee jerk reaction being a little bit more plausible I don't know, or whatever. It's just, Understandable. Yeah. yeah. So my last question then is why was this story even a thing? Right. I mean, other than okay, it's kind of fun. But why, so then a lot of Christian sites distributing like oh it's proof of hell some versions of the some retellings of it actually do have iterations where the scientists are the representation of atheism and then they all like run away screaming and like their minds are broken by this proof of christianity being right yeah so so i don't know if it's like yeah just general like christian propaganda kind of thing happening the russian angle to it like whether that was anything to do with that was near like the very end of the soviet union 89 so it doesn't make sense it'd be quite so like oh anti-communist kind of u.s spreading stuff it's hard to say whether it'd be you know soviet spreading to say oh we we dug so far we found hell isn't that cool like who knows where it originated but it definitely was just a story people told it does make me think of that creepypasta i mentioned in episode 11 scary for kids about russians recently drilling into like vostok underneath oh, uh, Antarctica yeah, that's right and finding some untold horror there instead <laughs> so it's like i guess it's somehow just become popular to talk about Russians finding horrible things by drilling. I don't know. But one, probably the most notable thing that this kind of evokes is what I mentioned at the beginning, the Kola Superdeep Borehole. So mm. it's on the Kola Peninsula, not in Siberia, but it was the same thing. So a lot of the stuff, I, I kind of padded out some of the, the intro parts with actual stuff from the Kola Superdeep Borehole as far mm. as the actual specific depth that the crust was there and the screams of course came from that no uh, no and the um, <laughs> no the uh, the reasons why they were trying to do it and also the quote from science magazine in august of that year right those are all referring specifically to the Kola super deep borehole so they were trying to get as deep as they could they ended up making it about a third of the way through the crust total of not 14.4 kilometers but 12.262 kilometers or 7.919 miles Still quite impressive. Oh, very, very long way down. So it remains to this day the record for deepest artificial hole uh, created hmm. by humans. That's so pretty, pretty neat. That is cool. And while they're digging down there, they did find some cool stuff. Not, hmm. not a weird chasm with ridiculous temperatures. I think the temperature they reached was 180 degrees Celsius or 356 degrees Fahrenheit. Which they actually expected it to only be 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. So it was, it was hotter than they expected. And they decided that drilling any deeper wasn't really feasible because it was just too hot for anything to survive right. equipment-wise. And that was that. But the cool things that they found were uh, they found some like mud down there. They had a bunch of hydrogen boiling out of it. And uh, they were expecting, I think, about three, uh, three miles, three kilometers down or something like that, a, um, a kind of transition zone where it went from granite to basalt. And they didn't find that at all. Instead, they found just a uh, went from granite to just increasingly metamorphosed rock just from the pressures as they got deeper so it wasn't mm. that it just switched over but it instead became just gradually yeah. yeah and uh, they also found a lot of water down there which is totally locked off from the surface so they figured it was coming out of different minerals under extreme heat and so just a lot of water coming out which is neat that's cool and they also found plankton fossils six kilometers or four miles below Whoa, the surface oh that's amazing yeah Oh so that's pretty God. so whether it's just from you know if it's old earth subduction yeah like just random ocean plates still surviving part right. enough to preserve old fossils and stuff still very cool stuff that's super cool yeah and the last thing i want to mention about this as far as this started in the early like late 1989 into the early 90s and got distributed and stuff and then 
got kind of yeah built up a little more distributed more and then eventually with the inclusion of audio and the advent of the internet became um circulated even more still it just became very very big story and people continued to buy it even though again with the advent of the internet it's easier to find the answers like oh well this was a hoax one particular thing I liked about this is they also produced a different iteration in the good old Weekly World News, <laughs> mm, okay. which I I don't know if you ever, did you ever read no. any of those? Do you remember what that was? No. Nope. Oh, man. So back in the day, up until I think 2007 when they stopped doing a print version, they still have it online though. It was just this ridiculous, like, sort of tabloidish thing. You could see it in grocery stores and stuff. I always loved, like, I'd be with my mom when I was a kid. Oh, I think I do know what you're talking about. Yes. Bat Boy comes from there. Yes, 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 yes. So just these ridiculous, often paranormal or supernatural, crazy, just ridiculous shit. Yeah, a lot of stories of Elvis being alive. Right. And just fun stuff. And chilling with aliens. Yes. And, like, all the rest of it, yeah. All the time. And so they they had a new version of this that they published about, uh, I think, in 2000, yeah, October 2008, they did this one, and it was an oil well, um, <laughs> an oil drill opening a hole into hell, and, and they moved it to Alaska, and nice. um, they had like a quote from Palin and a quote from Biden, and <laughs> it's pretty goofy. And in this case, like it, um, the say like the giant demon head of Satan was ar- uh, has already escaped, and his body has been slowly coming out for weeks, as far as just like popping up out <laughs> of the top, and uh, white slowly flames so coming like, out for slowly, weeks, like, just working his way out over time. That's and, amazing. Yeah, very goofy stuff, and they also like. To really add to the tongue-in-cheek kind of nature of their stories, they said the oil field is about four, uh, about 400 miles north of Fairbanks has been ordered shut down by the government, and 400 miles north of Fairbanks is right in the ocean. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like they just yeah really having fun with it. That's awesome. But that is the story of the well to hell. That's awesome. The audio clip is undeniable. I can totally see people getting sold by mm, that. Yep. And it is a great example, too, of how, yes, we have all the power now to debunk stuff, but also all the power to pursue things that reinforce what we want to believe. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, even if it's terrifying and something that seems horrible, some part of us may want to believe it just because we're so convinced of it. Yeah. It's funny, uh, mentioning the Weekly World News, now as you're describing them, can appreciate them just as you say, as like a very tongue-in-cheek kind of onion before the onion but paranormal style. Yeah. But I remember seeing those front pages when I was like a little kid and just being mm-hmm. like baffled about it and just, yeah. what the heck is like, Yeah, <laughs> I understand that this is like what I've been told is a tabloid and not real, but also the format of it is the same as newsprint and like all yeah. the sort of things. I'm like, what is going on with that? Like, I eventually, I remember I eventually had my mom buy me just one of them. And I was just like, just so to explore about it. Because like, like, I always wanted to see what's, what. I've seen the covers, and those are ridiculous. What's the inside like? I was like, this is amazing. I love this. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good stuff. And also, just, yeah, I wanted to point out, too, the idea. It's funny. The belief, okay, oh, hell's real. They heard it. But all the belief in this presupposes that hell is literally underground. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess then means heaven is something that planes fly through every day. It's in the clouds, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, that's my segment. Yeah, if you stick your head out of an airplane window, you just hear, like, harps and stuff. (laughs) Before we get going, I think it's high time for another segment of The Quaff. For folks hearing this for the first time, The Quaff is a segment where, you know, we always drink beer on the show, literally always drink beer on the show, Mm -hmm. but we've decided recently it's time to really think about that beer and talk about it and so what jake and i will do 
during this uh, sort of sacred time is assess the beer that we're drinking, which will be a new one each time. We're not going to reassess stuff unless you guys really want us to. Assess the beer on three widely agreed upon features. Yeah. Which are, of course, physicality, which is how the beer is. Uh, What does it look like? Um, How does it look? (laughs) (laughs) It's chuggability, which is essentially how fast could you drink this beer? Yeah. What does it taste like? Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the most important, joie de vivre. So let's go ahead and open this. What we had this time, we've been holding on to this one for a while. It's uh, from it's been Southern... been the old super-duper-stitious beer vault. <laughs> uh, the Southern Tier Brewing Company is part of their Barrel House series. It's called Sap Squatch. Ah, yes. Jake got this one a while ago and uh, tickled me pink. It's a barley wine. Was it 13.7%? Holy fuge. Yes, it is. This is a proper... This is a proper beer. My God. I sure hope we're miraculously sober after drinking this for the rest of the episode, which I somehow think we will be. (laughs) (laughs) So you chased the cap on the floor. I think it's important for people to know what happened. You chased the cap on the floor with the microphone. Which I wanted to get more fully. The carpet really floor didn't work too well. <laughs> and I, <laughs> after putting the microphone down so I could open the bottle, did you go to talk into I the beer? Talk into the beer. <laughs> this is a tradition, this I is think. The second time this has happened, out of only three times doing this, the third time it's happened. I was listening to an episode way back in the day. I forget what it was, but you <laughs> have a moment <laughs> where you mentioned that you went to go to talk into the beer. Good I forget Christ. which one it was. All right, well, I love it though. So never, uh, never stop, okay. never stopping. I unfortunately had to put the microphone down again to pour the beer. So actually, no, I can just if you hold your glass, then then I can still be talking into the microphone and not fuck things up too terribly. That's pretty good. That's a pretty nice. Well, color. mine sounded good. Yours is gonna sound gross. <laughs> he always does. Actually, it's not too bad. That was not bad, yeah. First impressions. Physicality, Jake. What do you think of this thing? It's a deep dark brown. It looks pretty cool. The bottle is is classy. I gotta say, it has absolutely nothing Squatch-related about it. On they, Yeah, they have the name, but the bottle itself has nothing cryptid-y going on. It no. does have a very charming kind of early 1900s vibe, though, Yeah, which I love. It's a, it's a complex barley wine beast brewed with local maple syrup, aged in oak bourbon barrels. But yeah, nothing on it suggests anything Squatch adjacent. Based on that, the beer itself looks nice. The bottle is uh, leaves something to be wanted. What would you say? Would you oh, give it for? I'm going to give this one an 8. An 8? For me, of course, is a 9. I see. I would have given it a 9 or a 10 because the bottle looks so nice. It looks nice, like, yeah. Classy, really tight, toit font. <laughs> and I love the red, yellow, and black and gold, that whole combo. Uh-huh. But, uh, and the beer looks fine. And, uh... <laughs> But there's no Sasquatch on it. Yeah, it was a squatchy. Uh, for that reason, I would give it a seven, Ooh. which for me is a seven. So we got a seven point. We got an eight, basically. We got an eight, yeah. <laughs> so we have an average of an eight. <laughs> How about for Chuggability? Let's let's try this here beer. Oh, fuck. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh. It's extremely tasty, but it is also very much alcohol <laughs> in a beer. And uh, you can definitely get a lot of the... Asian bourbon oak barrels. Oh my god. Flavor there. I would think that this was bourbon that someone had watered down with beer. <laughs> if I did not know any better. 
But in that case, it'd be called Beard Down, I think, yeah. Yes, true. Beard Down some bourbon. Uh, uh, and add, add a little, just a little bit of a maple flavor. Let's get a little second sip. Wow. The oh. alcohol chuggability, I'm going to give this a negative nine. I will also give this a negative nine. If we were to try and chug this, which we could... The flavor anything, is delightful. Yes, absolutely. It is not hard to drink, but it is a beer that must be drunk slowly. Or we will die. Exactly. So, so recommend it. Firm negative nine. Firm negative nine. Excellent. Extremely sippable. This leaves us, of course, with the most important category of beer description in all circles of beer review, and that is Schwab Why? What would you say? Porch. <laughs> Do you care to elaborate? I see this beer on a porch. I see it enjoying the afternoon light and being slowly but appreciably enjoyed by someone. And occasionally just bored into by a carpenter bee. Yeah, as in porch, just the raw <laughs> material. <laughs> yep. Right, how about you? Seems like a good summer evening kind of beer you just sit out and uh, watch the fireflies come in. The, the tide come of fireflies. Come in the beer itself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know how fireflies work. And uh, yeah, Sap Squatch by Southern Tier Brewing Company. And this has been The, the Quav. <laughs> so, for my segment today, I got a little help from myself of 20 years ago. Oh. Which is to say that if you'd asked young Wyatt about the most mysterious or spooky locations, he would have climbed up onto a table so as to climb up into the nearest chandelier and start <laughs> swinging it around, screaming Area 51 at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Was it like sixth grade wide or middle school wide? Uh, college. <laughs> college 20 years ago. I'm 100 years old. <laughs> I went to school late. <laughs> yeah, a little. when I was a little kid, I was totally into it. That's also why I now have to uh, get up on top of the old recording table as I prepare myself. Wait, wait, get back. Get there we go. <laughs> nope, nope. Wyatt, you're going to break. Stop, stop. I'm back on the floor. There we go. <laughs> The yeah, I think I don't know of anyone who wasn't at some point really excited by the idea of Area Fifty One. You didn't have to be passionate about, it, but it's like, oh, there's weird stuff there. That's pretty much where I landed, and it was yeah. just sort of like, ooh, creepy. Yeah, like I think you and I were someone that we probably watched different History Channel specials, but like, oh, this is really neat. And they fucking boost that signal oh, so yes. hard. They're like, this is history, so it's real. <laughs> Area Fifty One, weird shits going on. So if you've never heard of Area Fifty One, this is a place that at least throughout the nineties was synonymous with conspiracies of government cover-ups, experiments on or with extraterrestrials and their crafts, and just generally nefarious, secretive work. It's also the final level of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. (laughs) Indeed. And it is a fun shoot-em-up game in arcades. But don't shoot the the pedestrians or you'll die. (laughs) So yeah, one of, if not the ultimate secretive place, at least certainly in North America, I'd say, Mm So let's begin with a little background and legend for the uninitiated who have maybe just found our podcast after being introduced to the internet a day or two ago. Um, So among the many (laughs) fine and not so fine United States is the roasty southwest state of Nevada. Which I recently learned apparently is pronounced Nevada. Nevada. I was just about to say Nevada. Oh, good. Because, yeah, it's it's something like for a long time I thought it was Oregon, but it's Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, some states aren't what you think they are if you're not from there. And then you get there and it's like, oh, I, uh, okay. So excuse me, Nevadan friends. Nevada. <laughs> it no matter. It's just Nevada. So if you don't know the layout of the states too well, just think east of California, which I recently <laughs> learned was pronounced California. <laughs> and if you don't know where California is, just think north of the country of Mexico 
And if you don't know where Mexico <laughs> is, you should turn off this podcast and go back to being four years old. So Nevada is largely defined by its extremely arid landscape made up almost entirely of hot, rocky hills, sprawling deserts, and wide, flat, dried-up lakes. In 1955, one of these areas, Groom Lake, would become home to perhaps the most discussed airport in America. (laughs) This is because the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, of the day needed a nice, secluded place to work on their top-secret project, LaGuardia. They designed the airport at Area 51. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course, I'm talking about the top secret project, Aquatone. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which I think should be a t-shirt, just (laughs) Aquatone. (laughs) Developing the Lockheed U-2 strategic recon aircraft. Hmm. So as to better pursue one of America's favorite pastimes, spying on shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Project director Richard M. Bissell Jr. understood that, given the need for extreme secrecy, the flight test and pilot training programs could not be conducted at extant U.S. Air Force locations like Edwards Air Force Base or Lockheed's Palmdale facility. So Lockheed sent an inspection team out to Groom Lake, and according to Lockheed's U-2 designer Kelly Johnson, quote, We flew over it, and within 30 seconds, you knew that was the place. It was right by a dry lake. Man alive, we looked at that lake, and we all (laughs) looked at each other. It was another Edwards, so we wheeled around and landed on that lake, taxied up to one end of it. It was a perfect natural landing field, as smooth as a billiard table, without anything being done to it. Uh, Covered in felt for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) And it was red. (laughs) There were giant pool balls all over the fucking place. (laughs) Why am I swearing? So, yes, the lake bed made an ideal strip from which they could test aircraft, and the valley's mountain ranges added to the perimeter of the already extant Nevada test site, about 100 miles or 160 kilometers north of Las Vegas. All of this protected the overall locale from visitors. So, the CIA acquired the land and designated the area Area 51 Mm. on the map. Ever since, Area 51 has been a tantalizing no-go zone. The perimeter of the base is marked out by orange posts and patrolled by guards in white pickup trucks and camouflage fatigues, popularly referred to, apparently, as camo dudes (laughs) by enthusiasts. Great Great name, I know, I tell you. Really tells you what enthusiasts must be like, too. (laughs) Oh, that's some of the camo dudes, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Signage around the base perimeter advises that deadly force is authorized against trespassers. Technology is also heavily used to maintain the border of the base, including CCTV cameras and motion detectors, some of which are placed some distance away from the base on public land to notify guards of people approaching. All this to keep the public eye well away from whatever is going on at the base, which inarguably has included top-secret governmental testing, Hmm. some of which has been uh, declassified since uh, initially being worked on. So one very good initial reason to keep people away was way back in the 1950s, the early days of the Nevada test site saw hundreds of nuclear weapons tests, almost a hundred of which were above ground. Wow. So not exactly the kind of thing you want civilians accidentally stumbling their way into. (laughs) Unless you have Uh, enough refrigerators around from the hide-in. Yeah, exactly. Famously. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you mentioned this before on the show, maybe back when we were talking about different previous projects the government has done. But when the U.S. was testing out the atom bomb for the first time during the Manhattan Project, they weren't totally sure when they did it above ground 
if the reaction would cause a chain reaction that would ignite the entire atmosphere. Right. <laughs> but so it just went for, anyway. for it anyway. <laughs> like, so, well. <laughs> that's just American maverick braveness for you right there. <laughs> well, maybe we'll kill all life The entire Earth, biosphere but, yeah. and everything. Nah, we could make more money by doing that with fossil fuels. <laughs> so the nuclear quality of area 51 and the nevada test site in general is largely overshadowed however by the infamous roswell incident you can never get away from it it. (laughs) as most of us already know jake (laughs) (laughs) in july 1947 before area 51 was even officially established the roswell daily records front page headline screamed roswell army airfield captures flying saucer on ranch in roswell region they love Mm. their r words (laughs) The U.S. military later claimed the unidentified crashing object was just a weather balloon, but the article and the secrecy was more than enough to inspire conspiracy theories that persist Mm -hmm. to this day. Far from a weather or even spy balloon, ETs had instead finally fucked up while peeping the pinnacle of American frontier technology, the ranch, (laughs) and crashed their interplanetary saucer into the ground. (laughs) The saucer and its ET pilots, dead or alive, had been taken from the Roswell Ranch property to Area 51 for testing and reverse engineering, naturally. As such, when U-2 testing began, so goes the story, obviously, uh, when U-2 testing began in July 1955, reports came flooding in about unidentified flying object sightings. Most of these sightings were observed by commercial airline pilots, who had never seen an aircraft fly at such high altitudes as the U-2. Whereas today's airliners can soar as high as 45,000 feet, in the mid-1950s, airlines flew at altitudes between 10 and 20,000 feet. Hmm. Known military aircraft could get to 40,000 feet, and some believed man flight couldn't go any higher than that. The U-2, flying at altitudes in excess of 60,000 feet, would have looked completely alien. Naturally, the Air Force officials knew the majority of these unexplained sightings were U-2 tests, but they were not allowed to reveal these details to the public. So, natural phenomena, or high-altitude weather research, became go-to explanations for what were, quite legitimately, UFO sightings. Area 51's reputation as the official, unofficial governmental branch of nefariously top-secret black projects and research on all things otherworldly was later solidified in the late 1980s, when a man named Robert Lazar told a Las Vegas television station that he worked at another mysterious site called S-4 near mm-hmm. Area 51 to reverse engineer crashed flying saucers. <laughs> Naturally, this has led to some pretty intense speculation about what could be going on within the confines of Area 51. This has taken the form of tons of books, tons of documentaries, oh. and TV specials, and for every book or show, a hundred thousand billion Reddit posts. <laughs> I'll read just a few now. Oh, boy. McSage went there in 2015, stayed at the little alien motel, and we were sitting up on Coyote Pass about dusk when we saw a bright ball of light shoot up in the sky over a mountain. Then it split into four smaller balls and rotated around about three or four times, then just disappeared, just wondering if anyone else has seen these. (laughs) (laughs) All one sense. Dr. Hazelnut... (laughs) As many of you know, Soviet Russian people were doing sleep experiments during World War II. Jesus. Already just opening with a creepypasta. I'm not going to get into the details, but if you want more info, here's the link. HTTPS colon slash slash creepypasta.fandom.com slash wiki 
slash the Russian sleep experiment. <laughs> I'm hearing and reading rumors about scientists were doing the same experiment in Area 51, use it as a way of torture on prisoners, soldiers, and criminals to get intel if it works. You guys' thoughts? <laughs> First reply by Robert Vagine. <laughs> Pretty sure that creepypasta is fictitious. <laughs> I do imagine him typing it in that loud voice. <laughs> yeah. No, you're wrong. And then finally, Moondog94. Ooh. Has anybody else ever heard of this? Without going into any detail, I've asked certain questions to certain people about Area 51, and their only response is that there is no orange sherbet near Groom Lake. And when I Google search for more info, I get nowhere. What? His thing is that there's no orange sherbet near Groom Lake. Uh-huh. And people have responded similarly as you have just now. And he replies consistently with things to the effect of, why is there no orange sherbet near Area 51? <laughs> so he's just taking the piss pretty hard. Thank you, Moondog. I, I want to believe it's the same Moondog as, you know, the um the Viking of whatever street. Is he the guy who like dances through the streets, or am I thinking of something else? He would else? just kind of stand around. He's he's dead now, but oh, I believe he, what a uh, cool guy! Look at him. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah, he. What was the nickname they gave him? The Viking of Sixth Avenue. They sometimes called him, hmm. and he would just sometimes stand around wearing. He's blind. He had this great big beard. Just having to stand in the street and uh, like on the sidewalk, just wearing all this get up and stuff, and kind of a street performer thing. He also was a very talented musician. Played a lot of saxophone, cool stuff. And I think that's going to be the end credits music. <laughs> nice. Very cool. That guy looked like a neat dude. So while Lazar's claims and pretty much entire professional background were unsurprisingly fabricated, mm -hmm. top secret stuff is still going on at Area 51 to this very day. This all ties back into recent reports, as we have talked about over a year ago now, of UFO research by the Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP. Make no mistake, highly trained fighter pilots have definitely seen aerial craft that they do not recognize. But this is pretty far from confirming the popular assumption that UFO means ET. Mm -hmm. As nicely argued in an article in Space Magazine, quote, there are multiple possible prosaic explanations for the Navy pilot's observations, said Seth Shostak, a senior astronomer at the SETI Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute in Mountain View, California. He pointed out, for example, that the sightings occurred off the coast. Coastal regions are where you might expect to find a rival nation's advanced reconnaissance craft, because incursions over the continental United States would be more obvious and easily detected. When you have the folks who are specifically looking for extraterrestrial intelligence Denying that you, it's, yeah. yeah, it's extremely uh, strong. He also noted that, according to a recent Times story, the Navy pilots began spotting the UFOs after their jet's radar system was upgraded. That detail suggests that the sightings might stem from some sort of software bug or instrument issue, he said. Such reasoning is bolstered by the current tendency of UFOs to manifest as blobs or blurs on the displays of advanced instruments mm. rather than as crisply defined objects in cell phone photos. Quote, the sightings always recede to the edge of what technology allows you to do, Shostek said. The aliens are kind of keeping pace with technology. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good um, <laughs> call. Yeah. So, ETs aside, Area 51 has been playing around with captured foreign tech for decades, all under some pretty goofy project handles. 
from the late 60s on, the na- the Have Ferry, Have Donut, and Have Drill programs <laughs> afforded the U.S. a chance to zip around and captured Russian MiG jets to figure out their limits and attempt counter-optimizations of their own. Still, the persistent and top-secret development of new U.S. tech at the site, often specifically with an application in aerial navigation, combat, or reconnaissance, means Area 51 remains a legitimately eerie and cryptic locale and will continue to supply fodder for ongoing speculation and conspiracy. It doesn't help either that some of the projects involve rather otherworldly-looking craft, such as the F-117 Nighthawk stealth bomber, Mm. which obviously had to have been designed based on alien technology and is an alien spaceship. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) QED. Oh, boy. Yeah, this, I mean... These kind of conspiracy things always tend to follow a particular pattern. And it's Don't like, they just, though? And it's really just like, oh, the government's hiding everything, and there's so much stuff we don't know, and all of it's aliens, and holy shit. Yeah, freak out. And also, if it's aliens, then it's everything else that I want it to be, which is all nefarious and bad. And yes. It's going to mean that they're doing experiments on people, they're developing weird diseases and stuff, <laughs> yep. everything's a lie. <laughs> when all of the government is hiding things-based conspiracies are funny to me because they all center around the notion that the government is very organized and very <laughs> yeah. hyper competent at keeping this information from you. Right. It's like and not super compartmentalized and basically operated by fucking corporations and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's all bureaucracy and right. everyone's like, "Oh, but they're hot." Think about the IRS. Like the IRS has to be very organized and keep their shit together because they have to keep track of so much right. income-based information of everyone in the country. If you believe that the government is capable of this level of secrecy, do you think government agents like the IRS have what it takes to totally strong arm you into giving up information you might have or silencing you if you have it and also keeping all the stuff the secret themselves? I know. <laughs> like, I exactly. I don't think that makes sense. We we talked a little bit about this kind of stuff too when we talked about Roswell back in episode 39, which was part one of a different super superstitious special report. Gullible's Travels Part 1. Liar, liar, pants on wire. <laughs> Which all makes sense if you listen to the episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we I dig into the depths of the whole Roswell situation. and it's, Indeed. It's very, very similar to the Area 51 stuff where it's like, oh, yeah. it all usually comes back to, yeah, the military was working on some kind of espionage related stuff and they didn't want to reveal too much of the truth about what that was, so... They did some cover-up, but mostly just let people take whatever story they wanted and ran with it. That's the weird double bind, too, is like, I think the U.S. government, certainly military, is all too happy to have misinformation if it means that what technology they're actually designing is kept secret. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) it's weird to have these super false stories being perpetuated, and yet the military is going to be like, I don't know, maybe it is. Could be. <laughs> and them trying and people are to... people like, they fucking admitted it! And their half-hearted attempts to yeah. to cover up that kind of story... Yeah, right. ...comes down to basically, like, oh, don't you throw me into that briar patch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, there you go. There we go. Another weird place out there. And 
that'll do it for us today. Yeah, if you have any suggestions of other weird places we should talk about or that you have heard of and would love us to cover. Other than your bedrooms, guys. Come on. Yeah. Send us an email at contact at superduperstitious.com. We'd love to hear that. Or any stories you may have of just general weird things you've experienced that we'd like to talk about. We're always happy to hear it. Most definitely. And in the meantime, we do invite you to slap us a little review on iTunes or I guess Apple Podcasts now um, or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, do consider jumping on the old Patreon. Uh, We would love you forever, even more than we do now. And Mm. yeah, also we love you forever. -er Yeah, forever. -er. (laughs) Plus plus a day. Um, And next week we'll be talking about just some normal uh, creepy old stuff. We we had a little just like, oh, just ghouls. Yeah. What should we do? Actually, I want to talk to you about that. Do you want to do haunting type stuff? We haven't done that in a little while. So next week we'll be getting into some more supernatural spooky stuff. uh, Ghosty ghostly haunting type shit. Been a little while since we've gone there. We're going to go there again. That's right. So get ready to get spooked. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.